thanks for listening. <laughs> um, I'm here with Eric Ortman, uh, you senior UX designer and or lead UX designer, should I say? Senior UX designer on the studio, yeah. Okay, great. And uh, yeah, so your history with games. Oh, cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I grew up in essentially like a farm land. So games was never really a part of growing up for me. Uh, and my family was really, really not into games at all, like board games, nothing like that, even like uh, even movies and stuff like that. But I, I had this uh, uncle that was one of the sort of pioneering game devs within Sweden at the time, like the early 90s. Uh, so he was always showing me games and working on games. And then he used to come to our place during the summers and actually work on his games. Uh, so that was one of the sort of first touch points I had with, with oh, cool. games as a, as a medium, just sitting over like being that sort of eight-year-old kid standing behind his shoulder and watching him build games, uh, which was super cool. And I think that was the first time I really, really sort of saw games as a, as a medium. Uh, and then I, I remember playing, like, we played a bunch of like Flashback and, and um, uh, Marathon, and, like all those games, because it was all Mac gaming back then. We only had a Mac in the family. You had a Mac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, so what did your uncle code it in? Do you remember anything about no, it? No, I don't remember at all, actually. <laughs> he released this game uh, that was called Backpacker in 1995. Which became in in, in Sweden it was it's quite a big success. Like all, all the kids of my generation was was playing it, which was super cool because I, you know how oh I know the, it's my the creator exactly right. <laughs> uh, plus uh, he, he actually let me help out. It, it was this game where you you traveled across the world uh, and you took a bunch of jobs and then you had to do quizzes on each job to figure out like what you need to do as a diver or as a chef or anything ah. like that. And you earned money so you could fly to the next country and get another job and then you basically had to get around the world. It's it's it's. Uh, it's like the the the, the classic thing. You're, you're on the playground, and like my uncle works for Nintendo, and like you know, like you probably had the same. Like people, like mom, my uncle worked on. He made backpack. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's that? And I, I was working on this like school project on, on Egypt, just when he was finishing up the game, and he, he actually let me write some questions about Egypt. So I ended up being like in the credits of the game as like oh, a cool. special thanks. Oh wow! So, so like I guess well, officially I've been a game dev since '95. So wow. <laughs> cool. So that's really everybody's cool. dream. Yeah, oh, no, but it's really since, since since then and like seeing him work that that I started playing games a lot. Uh, and you so you played them on Mac. Um, yep. Yep. So marathon. Uh, it's funny because Carlos uh, oh, yeah, al- also also kind of got into it with marathon. Uh, and what else? What did, did you have any arcades or was there? anything like that around arcades was never big in, in sweden in general especially in northern sweden where i grew up we never had arcades in that sense um i remember the first game i bought for myself was this lucas arts collection for mac it was like uh day of the tentacle i think it was in monkey the, island monkey island no actually i don't think any of the monkey island games were on that collection it was uh, some of the star wars games like x-wing oh games. yeah rebel assault yeah yeah <laughs> some of the salmon max and i think it was uh, one or two of the indiana jones games like fate oh, of atlantis cool. all these like classic adventure games yeah, yeah. Uh, picked up as like a bundle and i remember how exciting it was to play all these different uh, Lucas yeah games. i had it's also one of the first games that i ever played or had owned was uh uh, Monkey Island, the first one, and I had it on CD-ROM, and that kind of segued me into the whole point-and-click adventure uh, phase as well. I played all LucasArts 
uh, adventures. It was really cool. It was so nice back then too when you, you were like sending notes between friends because yeah. you didn't look on the internet on no how to solve things. It was like, oh, I have this notebook with how you solve this puzzle in, in Monkey Island. And you sort of, oh, can I, can I borrow it? <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's the, the era when, when people used graph paper to graph out levels. And also, um, there, I think with the LucasArts games, there was always a, a hint book where you could, you could call in for a hint. Uh, hint line, but it was a US number, so I never did. But uh, yeah, I I'm sure some parents got some expensive <laughs> phone bills from yeah, that. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so you about your education? Do you do you want to talk about that a bit? Like how or what did did you always plan on being a UX designer? Or <laughs> no, I it, it's funny. Like I, I started, I kind of got exposed to games so strongly through that early years, but. I, ne- I never saw games as a, as a valid sort of career path when I went into school. So coming out of high school, I, I, I did the army for a while, just sort of the, like the last generation of sort of forced uh, army practice. For, so yeah, exactly. They, they dropped it after me. So I was like the last one to get conscripted into that stuff. Uh, and then I started studying computer science first because I, I felt like that was the, I was still a computer geek and I wanted to do computer stuff. But gaming was never... I was a huge gamer at the time, but I never saw game development as a career path. I was like, I'll, I'll learn to code. But like one year into that, well, first, this was just when World of Warcraft released, mm. uh, which meant that my first year of university wasn't the most productive <laughs> year ever. So I was already sort of in the mindset that I, I'm probably going to start over and do something again because this didn't turn out super well. But also the like, computer science didn't really hit the, the notes I, I felt. So there was this other program called Interaction Technology and Design in the same mm. university. So I, I started over and jumped onto that. And that really like hit a note with me. Mm. This was back in the days when, you know, Flash was all the yeah, racial. Yeah. Everything we learned in school was all Flash. Mm-hmm. And then you, now that's completely useless. <laughs> Nobody uses it nope. anymore. But it was, uh, um, yeah, because in the early days, I remember, or early days, like in that time because I mean we don't there's not a big age difference between us there was a time when if you wanted to become a game dev the logical path would be to either learn how to program or maybe become an animator or something or 3d modeling that was a thing also but so so you kind of went but you didn't do it under the goal I want to be a game dev you just wanted to program I guess no I think I always whenever I looked at game developers and also games mm. being developed it, it always was this sort of aspirational rock star role yeah. like oh but they code John and Romero. they do art exactly <laughs> those were the people you looked to and they do the music and everything like I can't I'm not an artist I can't do all that so then you kind of just pushed it to the sidelines and like mm. well that's not for me I'm gonna be uh, something else and, and also you mentioned the army like the, when you studied UX how like thinking back on the army did you do you think that helped you in any way in your career? Or? Maybe a little bit. I'm, I'm very happy. Especially in so. Battlefield, like I mean, the, yeah, the, there yeah. is some relevant uh, information, I'm sure. So I, I spent most of my time. I was working in in field command, which uh, in our case is essentially like 25 large trucks that you drive out in the middle of the forest uh, in the middle of the winter, full of snow in northern Sweden, and then you basically hook up a huge field command between those mm-hmm. trucks. And my job was basically setting up the network infrastructure between those, which meant I spent all my time chugging big-ass fiber cables, cooking them up physically between <laughs> the trucks and getting them to work. Cool. Uh, so that was it was super interesting, and I really liked it. But uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's uh, not my thing, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and uh, and UX design like school do you because so, you mentioned you learned you did a lot of flash but I guess like scale form was a thing uh, yeah there was a text so there was there. kind of an overlap I guess because scale form was mostly done with flash right yeah yep. so do, do you when you worked or when you joined dice did you use your flash skills anyhow on scale form Nothing. not at all not in the slightest nothing uh, i think we still use it a little bit on b4 which we have done but i was never i didn't okay. touch it at all yeah no i i mean when i started when i started studying interaction design that was also just around so i started 2006 mm -hmm. i think 2007 is when the iphone released oh, yeah, right yeah which basically completely changed the face of our, our program because suddenly UX was a, a thing. Yeah. Uh, it, it was still a thing before, but it's kind of get pushed into the limelight. Everything was about touchscreens and then sort of the iPhone and like, oh, this is the future of, of products. So we very quickly started jumping on building uh, iPhone apps mm -hmm. and, and mobile apps, I think, back then. I guess also because... With, or I, I also did apps for a while as a, as a programmer, and I also did some UX design for apps. Personally, for me, uh, it was also the first time I was introduced to UX designers when I started working on making apps. Like, oh, this is your UX designer. You're going to be working with him. And I was like, okay, what does this person do? Like, I, I never knew, or in the time of building UIs before that, it was mostly just coders making interfaces as best as they could, kind of. I think but, we still see that today. Even, like, if I look back at the... the, the the class I studied with yeah. and the people that graduated and the people that I know that are working all over the place now, probably half of them has UX designer as a role, but probably everyone does completely different things ah, on a day-to-day -day okay. basis. It's just so spread out still. And um, and I guess also with apps specifically, or iOS apps, they are like the product itself is the interface. Yeah. So you, it's very UX heavy, whereas with games, it's more kind of a layer on top which interfaces with gameplay as well kind of so yeah and i think that's that's part of what drew me, drew me sort of to that program in the first place especially with flash in that like oh suddenly I, I could go beyond just writing the function for something i could actually take it into the interface and sort of do the full stack experience uh, and i think when when mobile came around and i guess it was the same thing right you could quite easily start doing sort of the whole interface because the app was all about the interface mm -hmm. uh, which was really nice. Okay, so you and did you? So you, you said you you did um, mobile app design or at school? Then did you also work in it or do anything afterwards? Yeah, so I, I did my my master thesis for a, for a Swedish company. Although I spent some time in, in Singapore at the time. Singapore, cool. yeah. So we, I did my master thesis on like augmented reality for them on mobile. Uh, this was the early days before any AR kit or anything like that existed. So it was very sort of hacky, mm -hmm. but it was a lot of fun. And then they, they basically asked me to jump on straight after school. Uh, I managed to negotiate that I let, let me graduate first and then I'll come and, uh, come and work. So it was, a, it was a small like mobile consulting company here in Stockholm that I started working at. Did a bunch of mobile apps. We did 
uh, mobile apps for the royal court in, in Sweden oh, was, cool. was a lot of fun. It's very very interesting to go to business meeting in, in the royal castle <laughs> when you're like you feel very James Bond where you're standing among all these tourists and they're like they're ready for you now and they open yeah. up some little side door and you walk into tell, the castle. <laughs> tell me you stole an ashtray or something. Oh, <laughs> oh missed opportunity. But there's there's like the famous story of uh, John Lennon and, and Paul McCartney when they got to meet the Queen in, in Britain, and there's all there's a or a myth kind of that John Lennon stole a crystal ashtray from the queen and it's been <laughs> at the, it was at, at their recording studio. So it's kind of one of those things like if you ever meet the queen, they, they probably put out ashtrays to get nicked. <laughs> probably. <laughs> That's funny. Cool. Yeah. So, so I started there as a, a developer, first of all, like as an iOS developer, but I think they quickly realized that I was very vocal about the design part as mm -hmm. well. So I started doing interface design fairly quickly and then they because I was so vocal about it they started pulling me along into into these meetings because they found that I think they found that having someone at the table talking to clients that really sort of could sell the idea of an experience was actually pretty good from a marketing perspective so after a while I was kind of I found myself running a lot of these meetings by myself and sort of running some of the projects that we were doing it was it was a lot of fun um, but at the same time, still then, game development was very, very far away from and my what, imagination. Did you play? You probably did play. Keep playing games. Oh yeah, huge what, gamer what, still. What, what did you play around that time? Oh man. Besides Warcraft, because I guess school Warcraft. Yeah, no. After that first university, I broke my World of Warcraft seat in half and threw it away. And never <laughs> never played it. I did. I did pick it up a bit later, but uh, no, not never to that extent. I also wasted two years into uh, WoW. <laughs> big back then I think I was actually playing some of the Battlefield games quite a lot during that time uh, but uh, yeah I don't remember exactly what I was playing mostly back then mm. yeah it's a, I, I, I wasted a good two years in WoW and then I think I, I did one I did the Molten Core I did the raid like in the very first in the beginning vanilla I did Molten Core and then I, I also stopped when I realized that people were depending on me to be online. Like I, I skipped, I missed a, a day where we were supposed to raid. I missed it. I just didn't show up. And I got all sorts of angry mails and shit from people. And I was like, okay, this is maybe beyond me. I have to step out a step away. Because a job. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and Battlefield, did you, and did you also play, did you have any consoles? Like yeah, yeah, I, I did have the PS3. I, I remember picking up uh, what was the first one? The Demon Souls. That was the first time, like, even before the Dark Souls games oh, came out. Uh, like the first yeah, one, I think it was Demon, Demon Souls. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That was one. Like that, I think that was one of the first. So I, I, growing up, I never had a console. Never had a okay. Nintendo. Nothing like that. So I think my, my first console was a PS3. Oh wow! Uh, Super expensive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. yeah. Cool and and so so you had did you play Battlefield on the console or was it mostly PC? Oh, PC, PC, Because yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean I've seen you play. You're a way better player than I am <laughs> when it comes to first person shooters <laughs> and stuff. So did you play more first person shooters around that time or CS I, or CS was never really my thing. I played a shit ton of uh, Unreal Tournament. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, uh, Insta Gib captured the flag, uh, yeah. like low gravity. That was I was even in a clan for a while, and we did some like tournaments and uh, cool. stuff. It was it was a lot of fun. I, I remember the the low G stuff, like when I first, or 
because you could I think you could make your own levels or your own matches or something kind of like and, mutators or something. yeah so you could change the gravity I remember messing around with that it was really great mm. and then so how did you get to dice then well I, I guess I had worked in mobile then for about a year and a half I didn't stay much longer and again I was, I was playing a lot of games but still game development was very far away but there was this um there was this Kickstarter that Double Fine did mm. that was called Project Red. It was it became Broken Age when they released it. This yes, like, I, thing. I, I I followed it. I followed yeah. all the documentary yeah. as well. So I remember I was sitting at home watching those documentaries. This is I guess end of 2012 when they mm. were releasing those, and I, I just there was something that just was so compelling about watching those documentaries and just seeing the way that they worked in game development, like watching Schaefer and, and his mm. team sort of. Uh, str- the struggles and the problems and sort of the, the discussions they were having and I don't know something just clicked and I, I, I think I, I, I went back the other day because I remember going on Twitter and, and posting like oh, man these documentaries are amazing I need to get into game development <laughs> Cool. and I think six months after that I had started at Dice <laughs> oh wow <laughs> so and it, that was one of those things just sort of a, a banana peel and the stroke of luck and, and good timing because it turned out that Dice just around that time, just around the sort of winter of 2012, spring of 2013, was starting up a little mobile team internally. Okay. And they actually put out a position then for a mobile UI designer. Uh, so I, I jumped on that. I, I don't even remember if, I, if they spoke to me first or if I applied for it. Regardless, I started talking to them and I sort of went in for an interview. Oh, cool. uh, yeah, and on, on, on that path it went. Did some sort of work tests uh, with them. It was really scary. Took some old school RPG that uh, that they gave me and I had to sort of port the UX to an iPad and show how does this game play on an iPad mm. it was a lot of fun one thing's like hey we, you can spend two days on this and you spend like 48 yeah. awake hours working on it <laughs> four days compressed in <laughs> exactly, one day exactly <laughs> exactly like that um, but it was a lot of fun no, so I joined there just spring 2013 um, in the little mobile team cool because I, I was I think I was already in the industry then I was at Guerrilla and I remember those documentaries coming out, like the because I, I backed it. I backed uh, the, the it was called the Double Fine Project, Project Red, Project Red, yeah. yeah. And I, I backed it, and and I remember also like watching all those documentaries. But I was already uh, in at that time, kind yeah. of uh, in the industry. And for me, it was more like oh, appeal an appeal to to the kind of the more independent side of gaming I was like oh you know that's cool I would love to try that one day but still in AAA <laughs> yeah so no, it's, it's compelling in, in itself <laughs> yeah. and so you when you started at DICE you did BF you started around BF4 yeah so I joined pretty much in the middle of the production of, of BF4 I would say mm-hmm. um, and we were doing we, we had this very small mobile team that was completely new and basically we were starting around this time and I think we, we were five six people at the time because sort of the one this is the heydays of companion apps right mm-hmm. all the studios were doing these companion apps and it was all the rage we really wanted to do one but we never got the resources <laughs> and at the same time there was at Frostbite at the game engine there were a couple of individuals that were like really really keen on making Frostbite run on mobile so they started this initiative together with the studio then to, to sort of, we need to release a, a something that runs on Frostbite on, on mobile. So we were basically, we started off this team and we said, we're going to do a com- companion app for, for B4 because B4 brought back the commander mode. Right? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, I remember And that. it's going to run on Frostbite. 
which was insane in hindsight, but it was <laughs> all right. So uh, yeah, we, we started doing that. We started looking at uh, how we could sort of bring that companion experience in, in, in a sense to basically make... I don't think that's ever been done in that sense, that we had a 64-player multiplayer game where you can connect to it with an iPad and then basically interact with all oh, those cool. players and do those things. And what were, so, the, what, was the, what were the features you made? or what, do you, Does anything stand out, something you, you remember that was really cool about it? I think when we started off, it was supposed to be a straight port of the Commander mode on, on the PC. So a, a lot of the gameplay design had already been done by uh, some of the great designers working on, on the mm. game already. So I came in sort of with the main problem of, okay, how do we make this intro? How do we make a UX that works on an mm -hmm. iPad? And what features can we actually make work? At the same time as they were trying to figure out, okay, what part of Frostbite can we actually make work on, mm -hmm. a, on an iPad? The tech problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was a very fun challenge to kind of balance that. But it was cool because at the beginning we did, like, we did so many different sort of UX solutions on how to interact, going from like a straight up port. So, so on PC and on console, you had this little crosshair that you brought up on a map so the, the whole game was like a top uh, overview map like 2d map that mm -hmm. you looked at and you could interact with the battlefield and on pc and console you had like a little crosshair that you brought out with your, all your abilities and we built that for the ipad had it fully functional but it just felt really awkward didn't work yeah so we did this sort of radial menu i remember that you could hold and press and drag and it also felt super awkward but they were still like no it has to it has to feel and look like like the pc version but we were like that it's not gonna work so, mm -hmm. so i went back and i did this completely different solution where like you had all the abilities on the sideline and you basically dragged and dropped them as you would any other iPad app essentially on the battlefield mm -hmm. and, we, and we tried it and it was like yes this, this actually works now and that was like the biggest victory because they it took a long time before they sort of relented to the fact that like okay it has to be different if it's going to work on, on, on a mobile platform compared to a PC or a, yeah, it's, or a it's, console it's funny like people approach an iPad app, they, they're like, oh yeah, we want a straight port, but it's intrinsically, like, it's a different, you use it differently, because I guess a, a PC, you, you sit at a desk, and you, or you connect, and you're really sat interacting with the PC, and you're really committed, but with an iPad, you, I mean, you have it on your lap, and it's a bit of a different experience, Yeah, yeah. and of course, you have to keep in mind all the interaction patterns that the iPad itself has so well, it, it was a really cool project it was just because it was such a small sort of scrappy team with very low expectations because we had never had done anything and like that I before. think we've, we've DICE has also not done it since no I think that's that's the only product we've ever shipped that is Frostbite on mobile for sure oh, wow. I think, yeah. which is really cool but it was also because everything was so new I remember we, we were so worried because uh, we just the sort of network connection from the tablet to the game server was really shaky and a lot that could go wrong. So, so we came to the conclusion, like, okay, we're going to have to ship this game, this companion app, only working on Wi-Fi. And we were like, no, that's, that's terrible because people don't sit at home only. They want to be on the bus. That was the whole <coughs> selling point for this experience. You're going to sit on the train and on the bus and, and play this thing. But the, the QA department and then sort of uh, EA as a whole was like, this it's not going to work. We have to block it. Block 4G, you give them mm -hmm. a pop-up to say connect to Wi-Fi. And if you drop the Wi-Fi, you disconnect instantly from the game. And we're like, oh, it's so oh, terrible. But so, so what we ended up doing, I remember I spent like two days sitting on the subway in Stockholm. Because we, we shipped this slightly after the game was live, I believe. So we had this dev build on a dev tablet so I was sitting on the subway, just riding to the end stations, back and forth a whole day, 
playing on live servers on the iPad on 4G just to show that we would have solid connection and it actually worked to play on 4G. Oh, cool. And we even had, uh, we had VoIP working as well. So you could VoIP to the, the server. So oh, I could wow. actually sit on the tablet and like press the little button and VoIP two players <laughs> playing live the game. Like, I'm sitting on a subway train. And we actually managed, we managed to convince them enough that we actually got the ship with, oh, uh, wow. with like 3G cool. enabled on it, which was huge for us because it was really great. Uh, it, I've, I've never tried it, but it makes me want to go back and it try it. Fun. Does it does it still run? No, we no. Had a, 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 I'll, I'll get to that. That was something yeah. big part. Of it. So, it's also it's the, the scariest launch I've ever had in in my life because, again, first and ever Frostbite title we ever did on mobile, and somehow I don't know if you remember the E3 the reveal for BF4. We did like a sixty four live multiplayer game on stage at oh, E3. Wow. <laughs> and if you remember the before launch, we weren't exactly in a, in a super solid condition. We, we were struggling a lot to get all the platforms running in a good sense. Was, was it also a launch title? It was, yeah. It for was PS4? For, yes, correct. Oh, well. wow. <laughs> uh, so we, we shipped it on, on all the old SKUs and new SKUs and tablets. Wow. And, and someone got the idea that we have to absolutely, on live on stage have this tablet commander experience there it should be like the big ending experience where we come out on a tablet where we drop a tomahawk on the players and it's going to be super awesome and we were like you know if you look at the screen in the wrong way the app will crash because we were like super early in development like anything can go wrong and you're on a wi-fi in a public you know conference center and we know how that works it's like I was sitting and watching that stream and I'm like, this is, this is going to be horrible. This is going to be it's, just terrible. Whenever I hear the, the words live on stage, E3 or GDC or whatever, it terrifies me. Yeah. <laughs> it's just terrifying. But it worked. It That's worked. great. It was, it was so cool. And then we shipped it. I and mean, we had it live for quite some time into B4. But I think that the biggest learning we had with that is that because... Uh, you're not in control of the release process, especially on, on Apple devices. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the sort of the cadence that we needed to patch the game on all these platforms, you know, 360 and Xbox One and PS3 and PS4 mm-hmm. and PC. And every time you needed to update the server, you had to make sure that the tablet was then in sync and actually compatible oh, yeah. in the build. And I'm, I'm amazed that we managed to sort of keep that stable and going for as long as we did. But I think the studio sort of realized after a while that it's, it's it was just so tricky to keep that going uh, so some time in the before we, we, we sunset that experience oh, uh, that's too bad yeah it <laughs> was a shame it was a cool team so that was sort of the end of the, the mobile team I think the, the the heyday of companion apps was kind of short lived as well people realized that it was very hyped but the, the actual real use cases weren't as, as I, big I actually like still like I, I the last game that I tried with a companion app was Red Dead Redemption 2 um, and it was kind of okay like you can replace your whole HUD with with the app which is cool I, I and I tried you know to mount it on my gamepad and I was like okay I'm gonna try this no HUD I'm gonna play with the map on my gamepad with the HUD and it was horrible like <laughs> one of the most horrible work. experiences but I still think there is some use cases for it like the one that I've never seen that I think should be done is for racing games because a lot of people have wheels. Why not have your speedometer and your your RPM like on an app and you can just slot it into your steering wheel or something to have some kind of real HUD or something? Like I, I would like to see that tried. I think some of the Need for Speed games had quite cool 
companion app experience yeah. where you could actually similar to commander you could connect into sort of a live experience with your 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 friends and actually boost them or stop them you could like be the, sort of the oh. villain or, or the friend and <laughs> cool. give them like extra boost or whatever it was so yeah. that's quite cool that's fun yeah no so so we did that uh and then when they decided to sort of shut down the mobile team i jumped on bf1 which was the starting sort of production we were just getting into pre-prod in that uh, at that time um, as a UX designer and then eventually sort of taking on the lead UX role in, in BF1 because BF1 is, is like I remember it, it to me it always felt or the UI always felt like a, a, an encyclopedia like it felt to me like if I were to create like a, a BBC documentary or, or an encyclopedia about the war I would do it that way like you, you see the war and you overlay it with like crisp fonts and and easy to navigate menus and stuff and so what do you remember your approach like how you because it, w- it was kind of a shift from bf4 i remember it was more gamey still it felt like a real video game and this was more like almost a documentary or something yeah i think that the biggest pillar that we sat down and sort of aligned on very early and stuck with was that even though we're going back to world war one uh, and there's a lot of sort of uh, expectations and visions around that we need to be we're still a, a, a sort of a shooter released in, in the present time we need to feel modern it has to be through a modern lens uh, and we, we sort of use the UI as, as part of that that like uh, we could have gone you know the opposite way and done sort of a dirty map and then uh, sort of rusted stuff but instead we chose to like okay this, this will be part of how we portray this uh, sort of um, adventure of, of the first world war through a, a still a modern lens that doesn't feel aged Mm. Um, it still holds up and i think um i mean it's not that old it's a couple couple of years old that's kind of the 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 time warp that i'm in now like a dice five games in two years like five triple a games in two years and so it feels like we're talking about a really old game it's actually just last year (laughs) pretty much yeah it feels like a long time ago (laughs) that we worked on this one (laughs) yeah it really holds up well and it's and what about like the yeah so it is modern and sharp is is that the the juxtaposition kind of between the modern lens and did, did you guys have to iterate on that to get it well or absolutely yeah because you can all you can go too far when it starts to become like a you don't want it to feel like an, an app or something that just uh, feels tacked on it's a it's a very fine line where you need to feel classy because mm-hmm. you also you want to be respectful towards the medium yeah. uh, and at the same time we also have a world that's incredibly rich and, and compelling so you don't want the ui to take away from that you just wanted to support it so yeah there, there was a lot of iteration there but we worked very very closely with the, the creator director at the time yeah. uh, stefan strandberg because he had i think he had a very strong vision about what type of experience he wanted to to create shows yeah, shows. yeah. <laughs> So, so that, that was really cool. I remember the globe, like when you, the war stories, you, you could see, you see the big globe and the, and the battles and stuff, or the operations, was it operations? Yeah, we had it for, for operations Both. and for the war yeah. stories, yeah. And, and also the, the, what stayed with me was the, um, uh, the, the intros to, to operations, so that they feel kind of personal, but then you get the big battle. Yeah. And, and of course, the deploy screen, yeah, which is... Was, uh, really cool like and and it's even better i think in bf5 where the transition has become 
smoother, but I remember that that stayed with me a lot, yeah. the deploy screen. Um, I think that all, all of that together sort of helped deliver that that feeling of, of a, some something very large scale and world encompassing and at the same time adventurous. It should yeah. feel like you, you're going on this grand adventure. Like we didn't want to be it's not about sitting in the trenches and getting, you know, rot foot or whatever it was called. <laughs> you, you want to capture that sort of grand scale of things. And, and another thing that I remember that, that really stayed with me, and I, I think that was, it's not really a UX, or it could you can consider it a UX decision as well, was when you play the first war story and then you just keep dying and then you see the name of the, the soldier that you played and then you spawn as, an, as another and you die again it kind of made the dying loop acceptable because it's a world war one game and so kind of made it part of the experience that was cool yeah the prologue i, I yeah. really love i'm super happy with how that one turned out yeah. and i think again that was a few extremely sort of talented individuals with a very strong vision that mm-hmm. that made that happen because as you can imagine starting out on that and sort of selling that idea or like you're gonna die over and over, even from a from a user testing or UX perspective. Like, well, that's terrible. I'm yeah. gonna hate the game, and I'm gonna think I'm, I'm failing. And in the beginning, it was a lot like that. We're like, no, but this is the vision. This is the experience we need to deliver. And they just polished the crap out of it until it started feeling really, really good. Uh, I remember like those last the, the last touch the the text where you say like the the fact that you get the the sort of uh, year that they were born and the year that they yeah. die came in like a week after before we locked down like the final final build for release because it was one of those things like okay we need something to just drive home that you died because we were still there like oh some people a lot of the sort of hardcore people they would just like uh, try to respawn or quit to the menu when they died because like ah it's over (laughs) and and what about like uh, one thing that i'm really interested in is because all those titles were cr- cross-platform and some even cross-generation, like uh, or uh, BF4 was cross-gen, cross-platform, like f- runs on everything. How do you approach that from a UX perspective? Because I personally came from um, a Sony studio where we had one gamepad, one console. So, like that's a luxury, I guess, <laughs> for for a studio like Dice if you. It's, it's tricky and I think it, it, you do need to make some compromises to make that work do you have like a target do you first work for a target and then port it or do you work for all three or uh... so, so the way we've approached it in, in the last few games at least is that uh, we, we want to be able to support gamepad as well we, we basically want to pick up and play gamepad support on PC as well as on console uh, which means we need to design an interface that essentially can flip at a moment's notice from a mouse and keyboard uh, interface to a, a console interface. Uh, and that, of course, means that even if we change components around and, and change uh, layouts on screens, we won't necessarily fundamentally change the flow of the interface because you still need to exist on the same screen and in the same context that you were before. Uh, and that's challenging because you, you, if, if you would do a pure console-only UX, you would design a flow potentially in a certain way versus a mm. pure PC-only interface. But it's, uh, I think in part it's, it's uh, incredibly consu- time-consuming and challenging to do both uh, to quality in, in, in the production of, of a game. Uh, it's very hard to pull off. So I think finding that sort of middle path where it can be good 
on both is, is the key. No, I, yeah, I think you guys were definitely successful <laughs> in BF1 and uh, 5 as well. Um, yeah, it's it's great. It, I, I always think that the, the gamepad as an input device for interfaces is really horrible. Like, it's... It, an, an iPad feels way more intuitive. The same goes for a mouse. Like you're just pointing at something, having context, contextual information. It all feels better, uh, or with a touch touch screen or or a mouse. But yeah, it's like the thing that we as game devs kind of have to deal with is the gamepad input. <laughs> I think I mean you've seen some interesting sort of takes on that in the last few years with Destiny being the strongest one, yeah. sort of strong cursor gamepad input, and, and quite a few have sort of adapted that. I think it's interesting. You you can do some stuff with that, but it's it comes with its own challenges. It's yeah. like from an accessibility perspective, it's it's not super tight and yeah. creates a lot of problems for for people. Uh, but I, also, I can see how it will be compelling as someone that needs to build a, a interface for both console and, and PC at the same time. Yeah, and, so. it's, and I think it's also slower. Like if you're making a hardcore game where you have to make quick, like, oh, switch glass, switch loadout, switch weapon. If you're using a cursor, like, it's a, it's a bit slower. And if you then say, okay, we're going to implement both, then you don't accept or then you don't have all the gains of using a cursor you kind of have to compromise again and and i think destiny because it's a mostly a pve game and when you do pvp you don't spend a lot of time in, in ui i guess i, I think it, it really applies there same same goes for adventure games if you look at the assassin's creed games they've kind of adopted it well i yeah. think especially with odyssey they really polished it that's true but when you're making a competitive game or more like a, a bit more hardcore game, then it becomes problematic. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. Cool. And, and Battlefield Five. do you have anything to add about that? Yeah, Battlefield Five. Uh, so, so in BF5, I, I kind of took a, a side step and helped out as a lead engagement designer on that. Mm. So I did something a bit different from just pure UX which has been really, really interesting because it's way out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's been it's been a super fun project. Very humbling, I think, for me personally because I've, I've gotten to surround myself with people that really, really know their, their stuff uh, and are sort of exp- know the expert matter uh, way better than I do when it comes to things like, you know, progression and economy and, and retention and all these things that we've sort of bundled under the engagement mm-hmm. umbrella. So... I feel my, my job, this project has been a lot about just enabling these people the best I can and sort of support them from, from a UX perspective often to see how, how do we take all these amazing ideas and system and, and try to create a sort of holistic experience around that that, that makes sense and sort of ties together. Another thing that, that, I mean, you kind of touched on it now, but the, 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 the kind of the, the intersection between gameplay design and when it comes to systems like progression systems and stuff like that and UX I mean there, there's there's definitely a, an overlap and so in that in this project you worked more together with game designers I guess yeah uh, I think I mean as a UX designer you always work very closely to game designers yeah. uh, for sure uh, it's but in, uh, in BF5 it became very specifically around these meta systems sort mm-hmm. of sitting outside of just the core boots and ground experiences which has been really interesting because it was very new to me uh, it's cool. 
Yeah, and and so I joined here a couple of months back, and I mean we've briefly we've already worked together a bit on some stuff, and that probably people will get to see soon. Uh, I hope so. Yeah, it's uh, great so far. And I guess, do you want to add anything? Or <laughs> no, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I, I hope it's uh, been interesting for, for you as well. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's interesting for me, of course, from the sense that I get to know you better, but also for people, I think, just to see or to hear what people are up to at DICE. And I'm, I'm going to be interviewing more people, also gameplay designers or engagement designers and stuff. So Can't wait. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for doing it. Thank you and so much. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, bye.